If you are a GP or a practice manager in a primary care network, then today's episode is for you as we talk about the financial complexities and some important pitfalls for all PCNs to avoid. So we talk specifically about VAT implications of the PCN and how to avoid a big pitfall there, which could be really expensive if you get it wrong. Uh, Another thing we talk about is how you pay your clinical director and why there's some important tax pitfalls to avoid there. We also go on to talk about the benefits of cloud accounting and we talk about why even a diehard spreadsheet lover like myself has finally been converted to the world of cloud accounting. This also seems like a really good point to mention that if you are a GP who's new to partnership or you know a GP who's new to partnership, then Medics Money New to GP Partnership course is for you. Over the course of 12 months, we are going to teach you everything that you need to know to survive and thrive as a new GP partner. Our course is run for GP partners by GP partners with the help of some of the best financial professionals in the game, some of whom you'll recognize from this podcast. But we're also going to be focusing on wider issues as such as surviving in a high stress job, well-being and how to lead and manage a team successfully. You can find out more information about this course at medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course. And I've dropped the link in the show notes below. And the good news is for eligible partners, it is fully funded by the NHS. So the cost to you will be nothing. The bad news is I mentioned it on a webinar the other day and the October cohort, which is starting in October 2021, is almost full. So if you are interested or you know someone that might be interested, head to www.medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course to avoid missing out. Right, let's get into the episode. And of course, as ever, this episode is for information purposes only and does not constitute any form of financial advice. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Andrew Burwood, who's making his podcast debut. Thank you, Tommy, very much. So um, you've done some webinars with us, which were really, really popular, uh, live webinars. That was really great. And um, your colleague, George, came on the podcast where his dog made a memorable appearance, um, (laughs) which was, um, that's the second dog, actually, Uh, Steve Webb, uh, former pensions minister, his dog also interrupted it. So uh, we can expect a dog or pet interruption today, Andrew, or you I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if our 18 and nine month old cat makes an appearance. He does like to join in in uh, certain webinars and videos. So yeah, be braced for Angus to join us. <laughs> Love it. I uh, look forward to seeing and meeting him. Um, do you want to just tell the Medics Money podcast listeners why you're qualified to talk about today's fairly complicated subject? Yes, by all means. So my name, is, as Tommy said, is Andrew Burwood. I'm a partner in Larkin Gowan. We have offices in East Anglia and Colchester. Um, I have been doing medical accounts now for over 20 years. We have a team 
which is solely dedicated to preparing accounts, tax returns, pension certificates, pension calculations for GPs, hospital consultants, practices, the full works. It's what we do day in, day out. It's our sole focus. We, we don't do any other work. But the beauty of our firm is the fact that we can introduce you to other areas of expertise. So if you need any help with things such as inheritance tax, that kind of thing, then we have specialists in the background as well. So we are a full service firm and can help you with all of your needs. Perfect. Exactly the kind of firm that we love to work with on Medics Money. So thank you for uh, joining us. So today, as I said, is pretty niche, but this is something really important that we don't see discussed that much. And that is PCN. So for the non-GPs, do you want to just give us a really quick summary of PC, what a PCN is? And then we'll talk about why they might need to think about spending money on accounts. Yeah, absolutely. So primary care networks became a thing from 1st of April, I think it was 2019. Um, It's a direction of travel for primary care. I think it's really important that practices are fully on board with primary care networks because ultimately that is where future funding is being pumped into. So the idea behind primary care networks is to provide more of a complete health service within each, each geographical territory. So the idea is it will expand over a period of time Patients will have access to more um, services on their doorstep, and we're seeing a greater expansion of networks in terms of the additional role reimbursements that are now being paid. So within your practice, if you think about your GP practice, historically, you would have doctors and nurses, whereas now networks are just expanding that totally. So we have clinical pharmacists, we have um, social prescribers, and so it goes on. So it's almost like a complete package on your doorstep to to cater for the needs of the locality more than ever before. So it's definitely the direction of travel. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, Whether you like it or not, it is the direction of travel. uh, So uh, might as well embrace it, right? Uh, So um, so tell me, like, the, you know, why should primary care networks money uh, spend money on accounting advice? That's a very good question. So primary care networks, as we said, came into play from April 2019. At that particular point in time, the initial funding was £1.50 per patient per practice was being fed into primary care networks. The practices themselves also got £1.76 for being part of a network. That's £1.76 per patient. That is under the DES Directed Enhanced Services Framework. That goes to the practice itself, whereas the £1.50 goes into the network. Now, the network itself initially is what I would say is probably a fairly loose collaboration of practices coming together to deliver patient care in the locality. Now, under UK GAP, generally accepted accounting principles, you do need to account for the funding that comes into the network and then any any expenses that have been incurred. The £1.50 itself, it can't be ring-fenced for future use. So whilst you may have plans for this money to be spent at a later date, whether it's on a product or a service, as far as UK GAP is concerned, and HMRC follow UK GAP, that money must be accounted for in the year of receipt. So ultimately, each PCN should have prepared a form of accounts for the first year, which would have been ending 31st of March 2020. The chances are that a lot of that £1.50 would not have been spent because the networks were forming, they were, they were establishing protocols, clinical directors were starting to direct what was happening with that. The chances are at the end of March 2020, that money would not have been spent and certainly not being spent in full. So you do need to have a set of accounts prepared, which calculates what the bottom line profits were at that particular point in time, 
and then how that money is distributed to each member practice. Now, ordinarily, we would see that money distributed based on patient numbers, but we have seen some instances as well whereby perhaps some practices have been more participative and done more work on behalf of the network. So it has been allocated in a slightly different way. So that's why you really do need to prepare accounts. And as we move forward, with more money being pumped into networks, so the £1.50 per patient is continuing. You also, as we said before, have the additional role reimbursement scheme, which is being expanded year after year after year. Significant amounts of money being put through this channel. It's likely as well that PCNs will evolve from being loose collaborations into more formalized structures. So this effectively is setting the groundwork for, for, for the future months and years as well. Yeah, okay. And um, I think that's a really good point that you made that, uh, we, you know, for, certainly within our PCN, um, there was, we wanted to hire pharmacists, we wanted to hire physios, right? But there wasn't a need to hire, right? So what should you do? What should a PCN do if they do want to retain that 150 per patient? What's the implications of retaining that? Yeah. So ultimately, if you work out what the bottom line profit, if you can call it a profit, I guess it's a surplus of funds at that particular point in time. But ultimately, if you work out what your spending plans are for that, as far as the individual GP partners are concerned within each member practice, they will have to report within their own accounts the share of surplus for the year. And it's then allocated between the partners in the appropriate profit sharing ratios or however the partners within that practice deem it fit to allocate it. And again, that's another reason why it's important to prepare accounts. So I've just gone off tangent a bit here, Tommy. But if you've got partnership changes in years, what you want to make sure is that each partner is credited with their fair share of income for the work that's done. So again, that's another reason for for preparing those accounts. But as far as the individual practices are concerned, if the surplus is reported in their own accounts, that is then subject to tax, national insurance, and potentially superannuation as well. So there does need to potentially be a transfer of funds from the network to the member practices to help the partners meet those bills. What you wouldn't want to do is transfer the whole profit share that has been generated in that year through to the member practices, because then you're taking the cash flow out of the network, and that's not going to leave it with a surplus of funds to then spend it on whatever plans it may have in place. So our proposal would always be, or our suggestion would always be, that you help the partners with enough money to meet their liabilities, but there is an amount of funding held within the network for your future plans. Well, it's complicated, isn't it? Um, Very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, should we talk about the, you know, that PCNs are or may not be separate legal entities? They're collaborations and the transparency that's needed there from an accounting point of view? Yeah. So, as far as the member practices are concerned, the networks will expand and we're seeing it. They are expanding at a, at a rapid pace with all of the additional funding being pumped through. What each member practice needs to ensure is there's a transparency over the transaction. So whilst the money comes in through the Open Extra system, you're likely to have one lead practice that is receiving the money on behalf of the entire network. So from a transparency perspective, all member practices will want to ensure that there is the appropriate trail in place to show that funding coming in, what it's been spent on, and what the residual balance is, and then how that's allocated between the member practices. So Again, it's really important to have that that transparency in place. Awesome. So we're getting in pretty deep today. Uh, shall we go deeper and talk about VAT, value-added tax? <laughs> A nice, easy the, the subject. The dreaded VAT. Yeah. Yeah. So VAT can cause huge issues. Um, 
you have to think about which member practices are VAT registered and which are not, because potentially this has the impact of taking individual practices over the VAT registration threshold. Now, at the moment, if you think about the general medical services that you provide, that is for the protection, maintenance, and ongoing health of an individual, that is exempt from VAT. VAT registration is required compulsorily if your taxable income exceeds £85,000. So you are looking at, on an individual practice basis, you are looking at income outside of your main contract, which is then subject to, to VAT if you were VAT registered. So things such as shotgun licenses, HGV licenses, those kind of things, and any other things that you do outside of your core contracts, you do need to look at the VAT position. If the income generated from those activities exceeds the registration limit, which is currently £85,000, then you do need to register for VAT. And it's assessed on a rolling 12-month basis. So you don't look at your last set of accounts, think we're below 85000 there, so we don't need to register for another 12 months. You always have to be having one eye on the future and looking at it on a rolling basis to see whether or not you need to, to register for VAT. Now, if you have, we talk about provision of staff within a network. If you have a supply of staff from a member practice to the network, ordinarily the supply of staff is a taxable supply for VAT purposes. It then comes back to the nature of the supply, who exercises control over those individuals. We could talk for hours about this. It is hugely complicated. All I can say at this point, just to keep this brief and not to go too deep, is to say that you must, must, must take advice on this to establish the true VAT implications of the network and the implications on each member practice. Um, bearing in mind as well that within your network, you could have practices that are already VAT registered. So if you work with dispensing practices, they are likely to be VAT registered already. So it's just working out what the position is and doing all you can to avoid what they call a VAT leakage, because you've got this funding coming into the network. What you don't want to be in a position is where you lose 20% of that in output VAT to HMRC. Yeah, I think... VAT, as you said, is hideously complicated. Ed's got a textbook on it, um, and some of his textbooks I can vaguely understand, but the VAT textbook, uh, yeah, it's just for you you and people like Ed uh, to understand, not me. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about, um, which is kind of related in a way, is the employment status of the clinical directors and why that matters, because I reckon there's a few clinical directors out there who maybe, I hope they don't, but they might get a little surprise uh, from what you're about to say. Yes. So I guess probably is stemmed from the BMA PCN conference, which happened in Birmingham in February 2020, forever ingrained in my brain because it was certainly an interesting experience. It was just before COVID landed. Um, there were a huge number of delegates at the conference and HMRC were in attendance as well. So clinical directors were at that particular point in time quite a new thing, as were, as were networks. HMRC's view on clinical directors is that they are known as, or what they perceive them to be, as office holders. Now, what that means is if you are an office holder, you are literally working to a contract of employment HMRC in their world would love everybody to be on a contract of employment because it means that PAYE is applied, it's applied monthly, and also they get the employer's national insurance on top of it. So 13.8% is the current contribution rate. So 
In an ideal world, everybody would be subject to PAYE. Now, for clinical directors, I suspect, as as you do as well, Tommy, there will be a number of clinical directors out there that are being paid gross by the primary care network, or they are doing it through their practice in practice time with no PAYE being applied. Now, HMRC have not confirmed it in writing as yet as to what their view is, but we are anticipating that at any point in time. And they have said verbally they do consider it to be an office post and therefore should be subject to PAYE. Yeah. Um, like I said, I really hope that there isn't people that that's a surprise to. But if it is a surprise to you, um, contact your local specialist medical accountant ASAP, I think. Um, okay, great. So that's a really good, quick run through of the key issues there to be aware of. Um, so you know, you need to keep a whole separate, you've got your practice accounts, right? And then you've got to keep a whole nother separate set of accounts. Um, now I am old and love spreadsheets, but there is some newfangled technology they tell me, which is better than a spreadsheet, which, uh, I mean, I just don't believe, but, uh, talk, let's talk about how cloud accounting could help you and be better than a spreadsheet. Yeah. So if we look at, I guess more of a plotted history or potted history, I should say, in terms of accounting within GP practices, Spreadsheets have worked for a number of years, as has, um, you're probably all aware of a product called Irish GP Accounts, which was originally created by two doctors, Drs. McLean and Dr. McNichol. It was taken over by Iris. That is just a computerized um, income and expenditure account, basically, or computerized cash book, I should say. So in terms of reporting, it does the basics. If you're a VAT registered practice, it will deal with your VAT returns. But in terms of preparing reports, upstate information for member practices, it is, I think it's probably fair to say it's probably a bit too basic for practice needs and also network needs now. We're in a situation where general practice now is more of a business than it has ever been before. Whereas Going back years and years and years, you have doctors coming into the profession, they join a practice, they stay with that practice for life. The the profits kind of took care of themselves, whereas now you've got continuous contract changes. Um, You've got huge implications stemming from primary care networks. It's really important now that your accounting software, not only for the network, but also for the practice as well, is, is more fit for purpose and gives more management information because... I don't think now we're at a stage whereby you just wait for your year-end accounts. You haven't got any concerns over those figures. It's the same year on year. Now, to run it truly as a business, you need that information on a regular basis. You don't want to be waiting three, four, five months after the end of the year to work out what your position roughly is. So again, it's really important to have a system that is, is fit for purpose. Now, I guess a lot of you will have heard of cloud accounting. There are two key players within the market as far as we're concerned. You've got QuickBooks. Those are the ones that do those awful adverts on the television, which I'm sure you've all seen, and Xero as well. Now, the advantages of cloud accounting over previous products, so spreadsheets and other packages, is the fact that you can link your product to your online banking. So instead of having somebody regularly inputting transactions from bank statements and then summarizing of everything else, You can have a direct feed from your bank account into the cloud accounting software. You then just have to make sure that they are coded to the correct place. So there's a huge time saving there as well. 
And we know that individuals, practice managers, bookkeepers, whoever it may well be who's doing the, the, the bookkeeping for you, bank reconciliations are always a challenge. So again, the, the issue over reconciling your bank account should be greatly reduced because it's basically pulling in all the transactions that are taking place. Another benefit is the fact that you are using real-time information. So everything is available for you and reporting. You can tailor the reports. The, the beauty of the software is that reports can be tailored to give you exactly the reporting requirements that you need. So if you are in a network, a report can be run that can be shared with all member practices instantaneously. Again, it's real-time information and it's really, really helpful. You can have multiple users. You can access the data on laptops, uh, tablets, mobile phones, it's all there for you. Um, the other thing is paper records. So, you know, in in we still have it, it still happens, but what usually happens year in process, the practice manager will bundle up massive boxes of records, send them over to the accountants, do what they need to do, and then go from there. With cloud accounting, you can use a product which used to be called Receipt Bank, it's now called Dext, which basically takes electronic copies of invoices. They can be attached to the transactions on screen so that if there's, if there's ever a query on a transaction, let's say you've purchased some equipment, you wanted to check the guarantee or check what you purchased, you go to the transaction, double click on it, the invoice will appear on screen. HMRC are perfectly happy for this new way of record keeping to be done. You no longer need to keep boxes and boxes of records up in the loft or anywhere else. So again, you've got some efficiencies from that one as well. From the accountant's perspective, because the data is all in the cloud, you don't have to go through the process of if there's, if there's issues whereby the practice manager sends a backup of the data to the accountant, the accountant then downloads that, installs it on their computers, and then you have a conversation that way. With the cloud accounting, you can both have access, you can both see everything on screen at the same point in time. Again, far more efficient. Yeah, I think again, to say, you know, your the point earlier, it's just a direction of travel. And um, as a practice, we switched over to cloud accounting about three years ago now. Actually, we we went for like a, a really hectic couple of months because we decided to change our clinical system. Um, so our, you know, from we changed from EMIS to System One and uh, switched to cloud accounting in the same month, which was a lot of fun. But it is just so much better, and I think that ability to pull in real time data uh, and the dashboard feature. It's really good. And the only reason I haven't switched to it in my own personal finances is because I've got 15 years worth of spreadsheets every year, a tab, uh, you know, income, expenditure, pension situation. Um, and it's the way I've always done it. And I can't face moving yeah. it all over. I mean, so, how so do you a, move it over? Oh, it's it's really easy. So if you are on, um, let's say you're on Sage at the moment, you mm. can run a routine which basically pulls the history into the software as well. Um, the, your accountant should be able to create the license for you as well um, and help you with the chart of account setup and everything else. Question for you, Tommy, as a partner and yeah. your practice uses cloud accounting, how much of an active interest do you take in the finances? Have you gained any benefit personally from that? So we, I'm the new partner, the new boy, and we have a very experienced and excellent partner who manages the finances so my role in the finances is not that great uh but uh the way that the data is presented uh in the, in the cloud system it just works really nicely so that even partners like me who aren't following the accounts every week or whatever can have a look at it and say oh okay this is where we are so 
yeah, it, it is good. But uh, yeah, I don't do the accounts at my place. Um, we have a really excellent uh, partner who does that. Shout out to Helen. Thanks for your hard work because I think the partner that takes responsibility for the finances is a big role. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So vital. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, we ought to get I- Helen on a future podcast and let her talk about her experiences. That would be interesting. <laughs> it would be really interesting, wouldn't it? Um, okay. That was so useful. Hopefully that was a really good quick summary uh, and some key points there. Um, I think for me, um, you know, what to do with that 150 uh, and the tax treatment of that is important. The VAT thing is huge. The clinical director um, being an officer holder post, that is also big and cloud accounting is a future. What what did I miss in my summary or your final words of wisdom? I think you've pretty much covered everything, Tommy. Um, all I would say is that if there are any clinical directors or networks that are listening that haven't embarked on that journey for accounting purposes, I would strongly recommend that they talk to their accountants as soon as possible yep. and make sure they take the appropriate advice. We talked about VAT being an absolute minefield. It really is. Um, I think as networks get bigger as well, there may be opportunities to create VAT cost-sharing groups and the use of limited companies. I think that ultimately is the direction of travel because as doctors, you do want to limit your liability as much as possible. And that's where the limited company structure can come in. But again, that needs to be given close thought because you've got to think about how doctors will be remunerated by the by the network, um, how these shares are owned, shareholders' agreements, you need the appropriate legal advice as well. But it's really important you take the appropriate professional advice because to do nothing, I think, would cause huge issues down the line. And the one thing you don't want to do is to to do anything which creates an unexpected tax liability and all of the issues that, that come from that. So absolutely take professional advice. Brilliant. Okay. And um, obviously nothing about today is advice. It's just for information only. Let's insert that disclaimer one more time. If people are like the sound of this, Andrew, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah. So by all means, um, my details are on the Medics Money website. Um, If you would like to contact me, by all means, drop me an email, which I'll give to you. It is andrew.burwood, B-U-R-W-O-O-D, at larking-gowan.co.uk. Um, happy to speak with anybody that wants to have a chat about it. Um, again, Tommy's got all of my contact details. So yeah, anything we can do to help, please let us know. Brilliant. I'll drop uh, Andrew's details in the links of the show notes below. Thank you so much for your time today, Andrew, and look forward to having you back on the podcast in due course. Thank you very much, Tommy. Good to see you again. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.